Is that the prettiest teenager you ever saw in your life? All right. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 33. And along with what Ashley said, most of you know I go, I go to, I have, I'm blessed to be able to go to India every year. And uh, I'll be going back again here in October. And, those, and it's true. And it was a God thing. We'll talk about another God thing. You know, how many, I don't know how many Gospel for Asia guys there are in India. I think there's 20, 30,000. I don't know what the number is. It's a huge number. And so uh, there was a guy that I got really close with on my last trip. He ended up being my interpreter, our driver. And this guy was like my right arm everywhere I went for the entire time I was there. And so Ashley gets there, and her driver ends up being the same guy. Talk about a God thing. And his name was Alex, and great brother. And so it, was, it blessed me to know that he was the guy watching over my daughter, so, along with, of course, the Lord. And those guys there do. They live a different Christianity than we do. We need to step out and not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen? Amen. These guys do it every single day, and we think it's a big deal if once a month we share our faith. It ought to be a rarity when we don't. Amen? All right, let's look at Deuteronomy 33. Let's pray again for the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. We do lift up our missionaries with Gospel for Asia, the nearly a hundred, I'm sure, that are represented in this church. Father, may your hand be upon them. May you protect them, Lord. May you speak mightily through them. Lord, as we go to your word tonight, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I titled the message tonight, Praising God and Blessing Others. We're coming to the very end of Moses' life, and as we get to this text again, he's received word from the Lord, as we saw last week, that he's going to die. He's 120 years old, and at the same time, he has not lost, as we're going to see next week, he hasn't lost his eyesight, he's not grown weak, he's not grown weary, he's actually going to climb the top of a mountain where he's going to, to die. And so he's very strong, but the reason he's not going to enter in is because he rebelled against God. Moses was a mighty man of God, used mightily for the Lord. Again, was a man that God used to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, led them through the wilderness. When everybody murmured, he continued to intercede on their behalf. And now we're coming down, not to the vinyl days, as, as Moses said in Psalms, to number our days, but we're coming down to the final hours of his life. And you know, I find it interesting that as we get closer and closer to understanding our mortality, and we start to have eternity painted on our eyes, that how different our priorities are. And Moses is literally hours away from being in the presence of Almighty God. And this is three million people he spent 40 years loving and ministering to and serving and They've rebelled against him, and they've murmured, and they've complained, and now it's his last opportunity to speak to them, to intercede on their behalf. And again, I love the way that Moses finishes. He finishes strong, because again, his heart is for the people. He's not worried about his reputation. He's not even worried about the fact that, again, he too would not be able to enter into the land of promise. No doubt disappointed but at the same time was a man who was going to finish strong. Often when a father died, we saw it with Jacob, the father would call all of his children in. If you know, he had a warning or knew he was fading or knew his life was running short, and he would bring his family in and he would speak a blessing to them or he would you know, give them words of wisdom to live by. Well, that's exactly what Moses is doing in this chapter. Moses knows that his hour is up. He knows his time is up. This is my last chance. Now, you would think maybe Moses would blast them. I think maybe I would. That's why I'm not in the Bible, right? I mean, Moses, 
again. They rebelled against him. They murmured against him. They cried and moaned all the time. He continued to love them. And here's his last chance. And you would think, well, I, you know, I'm not getting to go in the land of promise. And you guys are. And it's really kind of your fault because you were whining about the water. And I got upset. So you know what? How about this? And unload on him. But that's not what Moses does. Because Moses does care. And so this is a lesson for all of us. That as we reach out and look at others, that we ought to be again praising God and blessing others. But that, you know, prayer praise is a youth group saying I used to have. If you can't praise somebody, if you, then pray for them. If you can't do either one, then be quiet. Or what I used to say is shut up, right? Prayer praise. And this is Moses' heart here. He wants to, again, point them back to the greatness of God as we're going to see. And at the same time, his heart is still to, again, bless and encourage them. Now, in the Song of Moses, we saw some clear contrast between the wickedness of man and the faithfulness of God, the frailty of man and the strength of God. You know, and now as we come to this song, we're going to move away from him contrasting God with man. And he's going to talk first about the glory and the greatness of God. Then he's going to talk about each of the individual tribes. And I love this because it shows that our God is a God of detail. That he does care about us as a people, but praise God, He cares about us as individuals. He knows the number of hairs on our head. For some of you, it's a lot more than us, than me, right? But praise God that He loves you enough that He cares about the details. And then lastly, we're going to look at the greatness of God and the joy of His people. So we're going to begin in verse 1. And look what it says there in verse chapter 33 of Deuteronomy. Now this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Now, a couple things I want you to see right off the bat. This is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. This is the first time in the Bible anybody is called the man of God. First time. And you know what? Whenever God does something the first time, pay attention. Pay attention every time, but the first time, again, we should take note. First time in Scripture, it's a term that's rarely used. And when it is, it often is being spoken of a prophet of God. And Moses is looking upon Israel with the shepherd's heart, and he could not leave these people he loved and served for 40 years without a blessing. But we're going to see that the word that he speaks is not just a blessing, but it's prophetic. Because everything he's going to talk about hasn't happened yet, and everything he's going to talk about is going to happen just like he says. That's called prophecy. Amen? When God says it, that settles it. And the man of God, I want you to understand something. This encourages me that Moses was a man of God. Because I wouldn't compare myself to Moses. But I'm blessed to know that Moses misrepresented God. And he's still the man of God. Amen? He smote the rock when he's supposed to speak to it. And he's still the man of God. He showed God as being angry before the people. And God still called him the man of God. He was going to be unable to enter into the promised land. He was going to have to die short of God's highest for him. And he's still the man of God. That blesses me to know that he's a man of God, not because of his works, but because of God's grace. And you and I can be a man of God or a woman of God because of his grace and his mercy. So now upon the pronouncement of his soon death, he doesn't rebel. But again, as a man of God, he continues to praise God and to bless others. Let me ask you a question. When things don't go your way, how do you respond? As Christians, we've all been guilty of pouting. Who's ever pouted before? Now your wife's going, right? Right? Husband, you pouted last week, right? I burnt the toast and you pouted, right? And you know what? As Christians, we're all, we've all been guilty of it. 
But as Christians, that should not be. Because what is pouting and murmuring and complaining? You know what? That's not Christ-like. As Christians, instead of murmuring and complaining and pouting that things don't go our way, we should continue to sleep, seek and continue and seek to bless others. Some people you are hang around with are a blessing. Amen? You know people like that? There's people I can't wait to get around. I just went back to New York, upstate New York, on vacation with my family, visited a friend I haven't seen in many years. He's one of my closest friends. He's a really godly guy. And I just love hanging out with him because he's on fire for the Lord. And when I'm around him, it encourages me in my walk. And while there are those who are a blessing to be around, there are those who pout, rebel, murmur, and complain that are draining to be around. You know people like that? You get around him and like, man, I was happy when I got here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Five minutes with you and man, you know? And you know what? Shit, that, again, should never be said of a believer. And here's Moses. Could have been pouting. Could have been murmuring. Could have been complaining. Could have been griping. Lord, 40 years with 3 million whiners and they get to go and I don't. What's up with that? But we don't see Moses doing that. We see Moses instead blessing a man of God praises God and blesses others. Verse 2. As he said, the Lord came from Sinai. Now, I love this because Moses is 120 years old. And looking back on his 120 years, everything he's been through, he's about to share his last words. And what's the, what is the foremost thought on his mind? What is the thing that he remembers most that has had the greatest impact on his life? It's not the 40 years when he was a prince in Egypt. You guys know that, right? He was one of the most powerful men on the planet. He was wealthy. He had everything that anyone could want. He doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about his 40 years on the backside of the desert. And I understand why he didn't talk about that. He doesn't even talk, and not that this wasn't important, but he doesn't even talk about meeting his wife or his children being born. He doesn't even talk about the miracles in Egypt. He doesn't even talk about the parting of the Red Sea. What is it he talks about? Mount Sinai. What happened there? He met God face to face. And I'll tell you what, when we look back on our lives, there ought to be those points that have had the greatest impact on us, greater than our children being born, greater than meeting our spouses. Those are wonderful and great events. I'm not downplaying those in any way. But we ought to be so in love with God that the greatest moments ought to be intimacy with Him. The greatest moments ought to be those times when we were drawing near to Him in fellowship and God was speaking through us and ministering to us. It might happen on a missions trip. It might happen where you just see the hand of God moving in a mighty and a powerful way and Moses harkens back to Sinai. I've got one last chance to share with these guys. What's the first thing I want to talk about? I want to talk about when I was in the presence of Almighty God. You know what? If we remember and we stick close to those times and remember that that intimacy with the Lord, we're not going to struggle so much with the things of the world. And praise God that Moses wants to take them back to that scene that gripped his mind. It was a revelation of God's glory. Moses had seen the glory of God. If you remember the scene, he wanted to see God's glory, but God basically told him, this is a Dave paraphrase, if you see me, you'll drop dead. Because I'm way too great and I'm way too awesome and if you saw me in all my glory, you'd just be, you'd be a pile of ashes. You'd just be game over. But here's what I can do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand, and when I pass by, I'll let you see the backside of my glory. 
And we know what happened when Moses came down after seeing the backside of God's glory. What, what was Moses doing? He was glowing in the dark. Moses came down and having just been in the presence of God and seen the backside of his glory, man, he was vibrant. Amen? Even had to veil his face at one point. Moses' heart. What is it in your past that grips you? What is it that you remember with? What is your fondest memory? Again, it's okay to have fond memories about other things. But you know what? Our fondest memories ought to be first and foremost when I came to know Christ. I once was blind, but now I see. I'm a new creation in Him. I've been born again. I'm ha-ha heaven bound, right? And praise God for that. And that ought to be the number one most important thing. And look what he compares the glimpse of God's backside to. And dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of his saints. And from his right hand came a a fiery law for them. This is a beautiful metaphor of the progressive, splendid, and brilliance of the sun rising up. You know, when the sun first comes up, it's hard to even really see it. And colors start coming up. But once it comes up and gets, man, you can't even drive your car because it's, it's blasting in your face. So, and he's saying, that's what it was like. And when the glory of God shone, it was just so powerful. And I love that he points back to these two places, to Seir and to Mount Paran. Now, he says here that he came with ten thousands of his saints. Now, the word for saints there is better translated holy ones. So when the Lord appeared on Mount Sinai, He wasn't alone. He had 10,000 angels with Him. And we know the Bible tells us that there's a lot more angels than that. Now, if you guys remember the story that when the law came, it says there that He delivered, came a fiery law for them. Out of His right hand came a fiery law. In Exodus 20, 18 and 19, it says this. Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, the flashes, and the sound of the trumpet the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak lest we die. The people heard the voice of God. Can you imagine how awesome that would have been? And the earth shook and they saw the thundering and the lightning and it was so incredible. They said, you talk to him from now on and just come tell us what he says. That's good enough because this firsthand stuff is going to kill us. We can't take it. Mo, you go talk to him, and then just come back and tell us what God says. Now, why does he talk about Seir and Paran when he says the light dawning up? He's reminding them of two things, because that Seir was where the fiery serpents came. You guys remember that story? Numbers 21, I think it is. Can't remember. Numbers 21. Where, remember the story, the fiery serpents were set into the camp? Remember they're murmuring against God, and what did he do? He dropped fiery serpents into the camp, and when he did... They had to look up at a, at a serpent on a brass pole, and when they did, they were healed. If they didn't, they died. And we know that Nicodemus later said that as the Son of Man be lifted up, so must the, that brass, as that brass serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's a picture of the cross. Well, at Mount, Seir, or Mount Paran, excuse me, is where they came to rest, and then the Spirit of God was given to the 70 elders. So the three things that happen here in this verse where fire came. One was the law, the law of Moses, fire came. One was a picture of the cross, and the other was a picture of the giving of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? What a great picture for every one of us, because again, it's right here in the Old Testament that we see 
the work of the Spirit. Sinai is a picture of the law, Seer is a picture of the cross, and Paran is a picture of the Holy Spirit being given. Look at verse 3. Yes, he loves the people. Now, wait a minute. He said, we gave, he gave us a fiery law, and then the next words are, yes, he loves his people. Guess what? God gave us the law because he loves us. Too often we look at, and we've been talking about this, and don't get confused, we've been talking about this on Sunday, that we are no longer under the tutor of the law, right? Why? Because we're new creations in Christ. By grace we've been saved. But what does the law do? It reveals man's sin and his need for a Savior. And so the law is given by God because he loves us, especially in the Old Testament times, to protect them, to keep them from harm. And often we look at the law and we think of it as being something that binds us. Now, while its delivery brought great fear, it was given out of love for the people, the thunderings and the lightnings. And you know what I thought about? I, I thought of the example of a seatbelt. You know, my kids were little. They didn't always like putting their seatbelt on. Especially when you get in the little car seat and they're just, they're, ah, you know what I mean? They just don't know how many parents know what I'm talking about. But, ah, they're just kicking in, right? And, you know, the easy thing to do would be, fine, just sit there. Start driving down the road at 70 miles an hour. First time you hit the brakes, you'd have baby against the windshield, right? Wouldn't be good. But you know what? We don't do that. What do we do? We'll swat them if we need to, right? Sit still. The seatbelt is going on. Yeah, but it's binding and restricting, and I can't, you know, get out of my seat. That's right. And I'm putting it on there. Matter of fact, I'm putting two on you. How about that, right? Now, we do it because we love our kids, amen? Even if they whine and they moan, we know that, look, this is so much better for you than the consequences of you not wearing the seatbelt. And we're going to do it because we love you. You know what? The law is the very much the same way. Sometimes people look at the law as being restricting and binding. But God knows that it's so much better than the consequences. Amen? God knows He's doing it to protect us out of His love for us, to keep us from the harm that would come if we were wandering free outside of the law. So he gave us the law because he loves us. Yes, he loves the people. You know what? If you're here tonight and you have the, you're mistaken to think that God is a God of wrath and anger, you need to understand he's a God of love and mercy. Amen? He is. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. There's no greater God. There is no other God. He says, all his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Now the word for saints here is different than the word for saints in verse 2. And this is speaking of the children of Israel. The word there is set apart once. So what's interesting, in spite of all the rebellion, what does he refer to the children of Israel as? Saints. When we went through 1 Corinthians, Corinth is one of the most wicked cities outside of Sodom and Gomorrah and San Francisco in the history of this planet, right? And you know what? What did he call the people in Corinth? Saints. Why? Because again, it's not based on our behavior, but it's based on God's grace. Amen? And so he says here, all the saints are in your hand. The Bible tells us that we are, that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Aren't you glad? Now some of you are going to struggle with me on this, and that's okay. I love you anyway. And you can believe differently, but you'd be wrong. Um, here's the thing. I do not believe we can lose our salvation. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says no one will ever snatch you out of my hand. Now, someone will say, what about the guy that professes Christ and then five years in walks away and never serves God again? I would tell you that guy was never saved. 
Because if we've been saved, we will endure. Amen? If we've been saved, we will abide. Not that we won't sin, not that we won't make mistakes, but we'll be convicted and we'll be drawn back into fellowship. And it blesses me to know that no one will ever snatch me out of his hand. I'm his son. Adoption is irrevocable. Praise God. He didn't adopt me this week and send me back next week. He adopts me, makes me a part of his family, and it will never change. So not only am I in his hand, but I, it says there, they sit down at your feet, speaking of the children of Israel. I believe this is a picture of Mount Sinai where the law was given, as they sat around and again beheld the glory of God. And it says, everyone receives your words. Now why was Israel the most blessed of all nations? Because they had God's word. Why are we the most blessed of all people? Every one of you, for the most part, has a Bible in your hand right now. Do you know there are people in the world today that have never held one of those? And some of you have 12 at home. you got every version and every cover and every, right? Myself included. And it breaks my heart. I was in Russia one time and we're handing out Bibles and this girl in our youth group handed a Bible to a guy. It was right when the iron curtain came down and he was shaking the girl. The interpreter came over and said, I've been praying since I was 12 years old for a Bible. Sir, how old are you? I'm 83. 71 years praying for a Bible. I met another lady that wanted a Bible. They had one page. When, they, when Perestroika came, or when, I think that's what it was called, when they outlawed religion, and they came in and took their Bibles away, some of them tore pages out of the Bible and spread the pages around so they could have a page. And this woman's family had a page. And she's been like, I've been one since I was a little girl to read the rest of the story. She's looking at the Bible going, I can't believe how many pages are in here. She had one. Maybe she thought it was ten pages. I don't know. She was like, wow. This is incredible. We're blessed. We have the Word of God. Israel was the most blessed of all nations because they had the Word of God. We're blessed because we have the Word of God. Amen? And we have the Spirit of the living God dwelling within us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. Verse 4. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. Moses didn't see the law as a burden from God, but as a rich inheritance. He said, this is an inheritance. Now again, I hear this a lot. People will say, you know what, if you bind your kids up too much, then when they get to be old enough, they're going to run out and break every law there is. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. So what I ought to do is bring some crack home and have all my kids smoke some. Right? Let's just get it out of your system. Let's smoke some crack. Let's juggle knives. Let's play on the freeway. And then you won't want to do that. Well, they'll all be dead before we get through the list, right? The point is that God gives kids parents for a reason. Amen? And they, they, when they think they've got it all figured out, they don't. And they don't see the consequences, and that's why they have a mom and a dad. Amen? Well, God knows that we are the, very much the same way. And He's given us His Word. He's given us His commands because He knows what's best for us. And he desires that we walk in what would be a rich inheritance, not a burden. It's a rich inheritance to raise your kids to love the Lord. It's a rich inheritance to let your kids be simple about that which is evil. We're to be simple. I don't need to know all about evil so that I won't, I don't need to experience it, amen? People say that. Well, you've, well, Pastor Dave, you can't share with me about that because you've never been divorced. Well, no, I can still share with you about the love of God without being divorced, Amen. I don't have to go through the sin to be able to minister to you. I don't have to go through the difficult. Divorce isn't always sin, by the way. I'm going to catch that wrong, all right? But whatever it may be, we don't need to experience it. We can have the rich inheritance of God's Word. Experience is the best teacher. This doesn't need to be mine, amen? 
Someone else can be, go through it. The Word of God can teach me about it. Verse 5. And he was king in Jeshuron. Jeshuron is... Oh, come on. Israel. Praise God. Someone was listening last week. Amen? Jeshuron is a word. It just means, it means uh, simply anointed or upright ones. And so it's a picture of Israel. And he says there, And he was king in Jeshuron, or Israel, when the leaders of the people gathered all the tribes of Israel together. Now, who was their king? God. And we know that all the other nations had worldly kings, and that wasn't working out too well. But sadly, we know that while God is their king, it doesn't remain that way, does it? When we get to 1 Samuel, they cry out for a king. He leads them into bondage and eventually captivity. Guys, we only need one king. We only need one to be on the throne, and it's Almighty God. Nobody else belongs there. Not you, not any man, not any ministry, simply the Lord. And the nations around them didn't have, again, uh, God as their king. They had worldly kings. So the first thing he talks to them about is the glory of God. Now he's going to talk to them. We'll go through these fairly quickly. God's blessing upon these individual tribes. Because again, he not only saw a great nation, but he saw these individual tribes. Now the first one is a sad situation, really. Look what he says. Now he's talking to each of these tribes. And imagine, Moses is talking. He's getting ready to go away. you got a couple of, two to three million people gathered together. And when he starts talking about the tribes, it'd be like if he said, now all of you from Calvary Chapel, what do you think we'd be doing? What? You know, what is he going to say for us, right? Well, he says, all of you. Now, the first one he talks about is Reuben. No doubt, Reuben. Okay, he's talking about me. What does he say? Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. Is that all you got for me? That's it? Now, praise God, he is blessing Reuben. But this is about all he can say for Reuben. Because we know what happened. What happened? Reuben is the firstborn. Reuben is the one that should have been blessed by God with a double portion of the inheritance. Reuben is the one that God desired to use in a mighty way. But what did Reuben do? Reuben slept with his mom's or his dad's concubine or wife. So there's so many problems with that sentence, I can't even put them together. The fact that his dad had a concubine, problem number one, right? The fact that, problem number two, right? And so Reuben, because of that, he lost out. He was going to miss out. Now, so that means he's still blessed by God, but he's going to miss out on God's highest. That means that you and I can be born again and going to heaven, but we can miss out on God's highest. You know what? I want to live a life where I don't miss out on God's highest. How about you? I don't want to just get to heaven as by fire. You know, get to heaven and be wiping off the, the flames that almost got me, right? I mean, I, I, I don't want to have that get out of hell free card experience, live like the world, and hope I'm going to heaven someday. I want to have intimate fellowship with Almighty God so when I close my eyes and open them up in heaven, I'm just continuing the fellowship I've already having right now. But in a greater way, amen? Reuben, sadly, was going to miss out on God's highest because he disobeyed the Lord. So does disobedience have consequences? Yeah. Now, even if we've been born again, does disobedience have consequences? Yes. Am I still going to heaven? Yeah. Am I forgiven? Absolutely. Are there consequences? No question. There's a reason why we struggle often in our walk, and it's because we walk in disobedience to the Lord. Instead of Him being the one that God's blessing was upon. Instead, it was going to be upon another. And the man's name was Joseph. Now, 
it's interesting that when you look at the censuses and numbers, there's only one tribe that had less men the second time around. Reuben. Rebellion brought about harm to the entire tribe. When we rebel, it brings harm to our entire family. It brings harm to our entire mission field. It brings harm to our entire ministry. When we rebel, it impacts everybody around us. Reuben rebelled and impacted everybody around him. And it's sad. And you know, we also know, we'll see this again in a moment, but where did Reuben camp? You guys remember this? You guys were here? They're headed to the land of promise. There was two and a half tribes that decided it was good enough not to go into the land of promise. You remember that? And one of them was Reuben. They conquered Sihon and Og, and they said, you know, the grass is green here. There's a big fortified city. It's already taken care of. I don't have to go and fight the enemy. I'll just stay here. Where does that compromise start? It started with rebellion on Reuben's part, and now he's really missing out on all that God has for him. May we walk in obedience, not out of, just out of duty, but out of love for the Lord, knowing that that's when we'll experience God's highest. Then he says, and this he said of Judah. Now Judah means, anybody know? It means praise. And I love Judah. Judah, the second son of Leah. The first son of Leah is Reuben. The second son is Judah. He was a royal tribe, a military tribe. He was the one who led the way. If you guys remember, if you guys were here in Numbers chapter 2 or 3, I think it was, where they're marching through the wilderness and they organize all the tribes and you read it and you think, this is the most boring chapter in the Bible. It's, it looks like you're trying to put together, it looks like instruction manual for putting together a 10-speed bike or something. Everybody camps and plant the pole into the northeast side and the people and the, right? And you read it and you think, okay, that was really enlightening, right? Well, that night, one of the few times in my life I will ever use an overhead, we actually used an overhead and we showed that what happens when you follow the instructions, that they were marching in a, in a what? In a cross. They were headed through the wilderness in the shape of a cross so that when God the Father looked down, he saw them in the cross. In the center of the cross was the tabernacle where the Spirit of God dwelt, marching through the wilderness, headed to the land of promise. And leading them on the way was Judah. And they were in the front. And I love that because we are to enter his courts with praise. Judah's leading the way. Praise leads the way. Praise goes out before us. Praise draws us into the presence of Almighty God. And that's who Judah was. He was the point man. He was going to encounter the enemy first. He was in the front line of the battle. And it says of Judah, Hear, Lord, the voice of praise. Hear, Lord, the voice of praise. This is Moses' prayer for Judah. And bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you help him against his enemies. Because he was leading the way, he was going to face the enemy first. May you lead him, may you bless him, and may you again help him with his enemies. Something really significant, the most significant thing about the tribe of Judah is what? Who came from Judah? Jesus. Jesus is a descendant. He is, the Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah means praise. So praise God. Verse 8 through 11. Now let's take a look at Levi. Now, Levi is the priestly tribe. Why are they the priestly tribe? We're going to move on and look at that. Now it says there, let your Thummim and your Urim be your holy one. What? What is that all about? Now if you don't know what that is, it's believed that there were precious stones that were held within the breastplate 
of the high priest. We know this in 1 Samuel, that when they inquired of God, they, he put his hand in and he brought his hand out. And depending on which stones came out, that was God's way of leading them. So it was put your hand in and bring your hand out. So the high priest was leading the way. Now on the breastplate were 12 different stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. There were precious gems near and dear to the heart of the high priest because the people were near and dear to his heart. Who is our high priest today? Jesus Christ. We are near and dear to his heart. And now we don't pull stones out to find out God's will. We just follow Jesus and we know his will. Amen? Follow the Lord. Follow the high priest and you'll know his heart. And it says there, let them be with your holy one. So the Holy One, there's some confusion whether that's speaking of Moses or Israel or the high priest. But it says, let these tools of guidance be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massah and whom you contended with at the waters of Meribah. Now again, if you've been here, Massah is where they were crying out for water. You guys remember this? Moses spoke to the rock and water came out. Well, at Meribah, Numbers 20 is where they cried out for water again. Moses got angry. Instead of speaking to the rock, he smote the rock. And this is why some people believe this Holy One is speaking of Moses, because he was tested there. But you know what? Israel was tested there as well. They could have trusted in God and waited upon the Lord, and instead they murmured and they complained. Verse 9. Who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers, or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. Now this is why Levi is a priestly tribe. If you guys don't remember the story, in Exodus 32, Moses comes down from the mountain, and what is everybody doing? They're dancing around the golden calf. Nice assistant pastor. Okay, Aaron, I'm going to go up here and hang out with the Lord. You're the high priest. Watch, I'll be back. Just watch. Can you imagine? You come back from a trip and, the, and the, you know, the assistant pastor's got a golden calf. Everybody's drunk and they're dancing around the gold. They just left Egypt filled with golden calves. God just parted the Red Sea. He wiped out the Egyptians. They saw all the plagues. And what do they do? They're dancing around the golden calf. They're returning to that which is familiar. Isn't it amazing how sin does that to us? We run back to that which we've already committed. It becomes a habit. And so Moses comes down, and, he, and as I said on Sunday, he was the first one to break all Ten Commandments because he threw them on the ground, right? He had to get another set later. But what happened was he went and he stood and he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And there was one tribe where every single person went to Moses. Which tribe was it? Levi. And that's why they became the priests because God said, they're all with me. Now it says in this verse... He did not acknowledge his brothers. He says of his father and mother, he's known as children. They observed your word and they kept your covenant. What did he do? What did they do? Not only did they come to the Lord, but the Lord said, take a sword and go out and kill all the people that continue to be in rebellion against me. Now, you've got to remember, they're all related. They're all cousins, right? And what has he done? He's, they're saying, God is more important even than my family. I have some who struggle with that. Some will say to me, wait a minute. Now you're taking the God thing too seriously. You tell me I'm supposed to love God more than my kids? Yes. Yes, you are. And you know what? You ought to love your kids a lot. 
You ought to love your kids so much you'd die for them. But you know what? You should love God more than that. And if you do, you won't have a problem disciplining your kids. You won't have a problem being a godly example to your kids because you'll love God more. And, the, and the, the tribe of Levi went out and used the sword and was obedient to God because they loved God more. Later in the New Testament, it says, unless you hate your father and mother, you can by no means be my disciple. He doesn't mean hate your parents. He says your love for God should be so radical that everything in comparison is hatred. You love God way up here, more than anything else. Amen? And I know that's hard. I've had people tell me that. I've had people that say they don't want to follow a God that would want them to love Him more than they love their own kids. And I'm saying, you don't understand. It's a get-to. The greatest thing you could do for your kids is love God more. It says in verse 10, They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt offering on your altar. Now, they were called by God because they were obedient. And then what was their blessing? They were going to be the teachers in Israel. The Bible says it's a high calling to teach the Word of God. He says, let not many of you be teachers because you're held to a higher level of accountability. It's a blessing with a high level of accountability. At the same time, they were to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. They were to burn the incense and they were to make the sacrifice. This is both a blessing and a great calling and a responsibility. Verse 11. Bless his substance, Lord. This is Moses praying for the children of the, the Levites. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. He's saying, Lord, bless those who are serving you full time. Bless this, these guys who are so faithful. And when people come against them, protect them from their enemies. What kind of prayer is Moses praying? It's a prayer of blessing. He's praying blessings upon even disobedience and rebellion. Verse 12. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell safety, dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. Now, who is Benjamin? Youngest son of Rachel. How many of you guys remember the story of how Benjamin was born? They're traveling. Rachel goes into labor, and they're on the outskirts of this little town called... Oh, I thought I taught you guys better than that. Outskirts of a little town called... Bethlehem. Rachel's on the outskirts of Bethlehem. She gives birth to her son and she's going, she knows she's going to die. And she wants to name him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. And after she dies, Jacob changes his name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Is it interesting? Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. The Bible says he was acquainted with our sorrows and our griefs. And where is he now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Nothing happens by chance in the Bible. Amen? It's all in there for a reason. I love it. I love every piece of it. Now, it's interesting that Benjamin was the youngest son. And he was Jacob's beloved. If you guys remember the story when they were starving, right? It was famine. They went down to Egypt, and Joseph recognizes them, and they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph says, are all of you here? Well, no, we're not all here. Go back and get your And you know what? And leave the youngest one here until you come back. Oh, when they came back without Benjamin, Jacob was not happy. Now, if you remember that story, again, he was the, the youngest son. He was the beloved son. And it says there, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. God's hand was upon this young man. God carried him on his shoulders. 
We know the Benjamites became mighty warriors. Now remember, none of this has happened yet. He's saying all these things before they happen, and every one of them happens just like he says. Now the interesting part, if you look on a map, and I printed one up, if you look on a map of where the 12 tribes of Israel are, that the, Benj- the tribe of Benjamin looks a little bit like two shoulders. It looks like it's got a neck at the top, it's kind of pointed, and it goes down like this. And it looks like two shoulders. And right in the middle of the shoulder blades at the bottom of where it is, is a city. Jerusalem. And it says in this verse, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. You think that's by chance? Well, maybe, but I don't think so. It's in the Bible, amen? I love stuff like that that makes me dig deeper. And praise God, again, that all of his word fits perfectly. I promise we're going to stop in a minute. Verse 13, you're going, 529, we're never getting, okay, we won't. We'll finish it next week. And, and of Joseph, he said, now who's Joseph? Joseph is the prince of Egypt. He's the one who forgave his brothers. He's the one who is filled with godly wisdom. He's the oldest son of Rachel. Jacob gave him the rights of the firstborn. Moses, again, prayed first for Joseph's material prosperity here. Now remember, Mo- Joseph is the one who was thrown into the pit, right? Because they were jealous of him. And he didn't help matters much. He had the coat of many colors, like, look at my coat, Dad gave it to me, you didn't get one, right? And then he goes down and says, oh, by the way, I had a dream, you're all bowing to me. And his brothers are like, you know what, you're a punk. And so what did they do? They wanted to kill him, but they threw him in a pit, and then some guys came by, and they sold him into slavery. And we know that Joseph goes and he proves himself worthy. What does he do? He goes and he's, he's seen to be wiser than other men and he's, he's elevated in Potiphar's house and he's put into a position of authority and then Potiphar's wife tries to get him to commit adultery. And what does Joseph do? He leaves his coat behind, she falsely accuses him, they stick him in jail. He's in jail, he starts interpreting dreams. He's interpreting dreams and finally the word gets back and the, they call him out and he's interpreting and man, he keeps raising and rising up into power. You know why? Because he was faithful wherever God put him. It didn't matter if he was a slave in somebody's house or he was in prison. He was faithful. And that's a man God can use. A man or a woman who's faithful wherever God puts them. We'll finish up with Joseph. Look what it says. Blessed of the Lord in his land with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath. So he's saying here that God's going to pour out wherever his land would be. He's going to pour out dew from heaven and waters are going to spring up from beneath with the precious fruits of his son and the precious produce of the months. So he's going to have a land that bears fruits that are ripened in the sun, and he's going to have fruit that produces throughout the year. Every season of the year, fruit's going to be producing in his land. You know what's interesting? That's exactly what happened. You've got to remember, they haven't gone into the land yet. And he's talking about the land where they're going to dwell. We'll see next week, since we're not going to get there tonight, We'll see next week that he talks about what sea they're going to be buying, what land they're going to touch, and, and what kind of trade they're going to have, and it's right down the line. Because again, God's word is always perfect. Now he says here that they're going to have precious produce in all the months of the year. Now I love this. I don't know if you guys knew this. There's one country on this planet where you can grow every kind of fruit known to man. And it's Israel. And Israel is like the size of New Jersey. But you know what? They grow apples there, which you need cold weather for, and they grow pineapples, which you need tropical weather for. Place is unbelievable. Why? Because God's hand is on it. Amen? And, and you know what? I want to encourage you. We're going back in March. Pray about coming with us. 
with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills. The ancient mountains grew corn and figs and grapes and olives. And again, he's talking about where this tribe would be positioned once they got into the land of promise, all prophesied before they enter in. With the precious things of the earth and all its fullness, with the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Who's that? Who dwelt in the bush? Who wrote this? Moses. How did Moses first meet God? The burning bush. And he says in this verse, with the precious thing of the earth and all its fullness and favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Lord who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Here in Santa Cruz, they probably wanted to change to the burning carry or something. I don't know. But in the burning bush. Amen? You didn't get that. The election, carry, bush. All right. Guys are slow tonight. All right. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with him he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. Now, he talks about Joseph and he says... He'll be like a firstborn bull with sharp horns. He's going to have a power to defeat his enemies. That's exactly what would happen. Joseph, again, the tribe would rise up a mighty army. Now, some of us wonder, there's no tribe of Joseph, right? There isn't. It's Ephraim and Manasseh. It was split in two. It was so powerful and so large, it was split between his two firstborn sons. And so it's Ephraim and Manasseh, as we see there in verse 17. Now, we'll get into it next week, and that's okay because we only have 12 verses in chapter 34. But what I wanted to say is this. I want to encourage us. Let me grab the last page of my notes here. It doesn't happen very often I have to do this. But I love the fact, here's Moses, and Moses is down to the final hours. And he looks at these precious people, and how does he look at them? He wants to bless them not blast them. Amen? He wants to bring them back to the greatness of God. We'll see it next week. The first five verses this week, he just talks about how great God is. Next week, he really finishes off talking about the greatness of God, about His everlasting arms, about His great and awesome power. You know why we struggle so much in our walk? We forget about the greatness of our God. We struggle because we look at our circumstances and we think they're huge. They're nothing in comparison to the greatness of our God. He knew as they went into the land of promise that they were going to fall if they forgot about the greatness of their God. So he reminded them of the greatness of their God and then he prayed blessings upon them. He interceded on their behalf. What an example for us. May we be men and women who are praising God and blessing others. Amen? May we not be those who are pointing fingers at others, talking bad about others, pouting about our circumstances. You know what? Our God's greater than anything you're going through here tonight. I don't know what your trials are, but God does, and He's greater than that. And if you'll let Him, He'll be glorified through it. He's a great and awesome God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for Your grace and Your infinite mercy. We thank You, Lord, for this example of Moses in His final hours, not seeking vengeance, not seeking to get even, not pouting or murmuring over His, quote, misfortune, but, Lord, instead desiring to finish strong, to live a life set apart unto you. Lord, we thank you for the, just the perfect 
way that your word is put together, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the, the prophecy in this chapter, every bit of which came true exactly. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust every bit of your word for our lives today as well. Lord, help us to be men and women who praise you and bless others. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.